Hello everyone, welcome to episode 2 of Being the System. This is your host Gabriel, and today we are talking about the problems with school with Miss Bolovis, a history teacher at Lori McDonald. Miss Bolovis, do you think students get enough autonomy in classrooms? Well, I think that there are certain rules and expectations in a school setting that must be followed. I do think it could be quite beneficial for students to play an active role in their learning. So let's say if they get to choose certain subjects, right, or certain courses, that this could be beneficial for them. It's also very hard to give them complete autonomy on certain things, um, especially when teachers have like a set program or curriculum that has to be followed or if there's like an exam at the end of the year for example it's hard to let them choose everything so yeah I think it kind of limits sometimes the amount of autonomy that we can give students because we know what we have to cover and at what time we have to cover those things but so you'd say that we'd have to give them some autonomy but not an overwhelming amount that it harms the teacher's uh, plan for the year like when they're teaching exactly but enough to like make them i would say experiment and see what's best for them yes do you think grades should be measured by tests and exams or if grades should exist at all oh this is a loaded question um yeah i do believe that there should be evaluations i think it it is important it's important to set goals and to work towards like understanding and achieving goals there's an importance to that grades also provide feedback to students learning so it clarifies like what the student understands what the student doesn't understand how they can improve more importantly right and and what changes you know you can make in terms of 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 attaining those goals but i do feel frustrated sometimes having to teach to an exam right it does limit you in terms of what you can be covered in a class and what topics and and conversations you can engage in with your students it was very freeing this year in a way for some of us when the ministry exams were taken away from our courses because we felt some of the teachers felt like we could really do some creative projects and uh, have longer conversations and not feel that pressure to teach to an exam. So give you the more liberty to teach the students in a different way compared to the traditional uh, exam at the end of the year, since this year we didn't have any final exam for most classes. Yes, and I, and I have to admit that sometimes when we teach to an exam, I worry that like we're hurting the academic motivation of our students and it actually inhibits their learning, right? Because they're kind of constrained to learning specific things, whereas sometimes you find yourself wanting to engage in sort of other conversations or diving into other topics that may be of more interest to the students that too but it also because of all the stress and like anxiety oh. perhaps if a student is not good at memorization for history it may be a lot harder even if they do enjoy the topic because a lot of it is based on memorizing what happened like in from like 1800s to 1900 Yes, and I mean, one of the things we are consciously working on, and especially even if I do take our history program, we are trying to step away from the memorization. Like we're really trying to focus uh, on the students really understanding the material. We feel that that's the way that they will succeed in their assessments. Because once you understand the material, no matter how the question is formatted, you should be able to answer the question. So we are actually 
we've made some improvements in stepping away from that standard sort of memorization, but I think we still have ways to go in terms of the way we assess our students and evaluate our students. Yeah, I agree with that. And in your opinion, do you think students should get the option to pick their own classes? Like in secondary four, we get the choice of environmental science or home economics, but we don't get both. Do you think that's fair in a certain sense that we can take all the classes we want? We've actually spoken about this with some of our colleagues. I do think it's important for students to choose, to, to certainly make certain choices with some of their subjects. I mean, we, we have those traditional classes, but I think it is good when students choose their classes because I think they enjoy the class a lot more. They're much more interested in the course. So we should be giving students more of that object to hear from their feedback and for them to make those choices. I think it is important. I agree as well. But then what happens if, let's say, a student wants to take on both classes, but they have to choose between one? That's when I think that the curriculum may do more harm than good. Right. I know there there were talks of sort of streaming students also, depending on, let's say, for example, I know there were intensive sports as well that we didn't mention, right? So there was that stream, the science stream, as you mentioned, with your environmental science. Yes, I understand that sometimes students could want to explore two options at once. And then sometimes, depending on the way we select our courses, it could be limiting. Uh, it would be something to look at, I guess, to see that there is a wide variety and that we sort of try to meet the students' needs in one way or another. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Do you think that school suits everyone's learning style? The short answer to that, I think, is no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot of schools consist of, unfortunately, like sitting at your desk, listening to a teacher lecture, taking notes, preparing for an exam or a quiz. And I know, well, I mean, we all know that students just don't learn in the same way and that this particular method may not always be effective right, for some students and their needs. I, I do think that sometimes, depending on your courses, you could make it a little bit more student-centered and that depending on your courses, again, you can differentiate the learning. So students, I think in these types of settings are much more engaged. I think they could potentially achieve much more because they're much more interested and it's not that traditional setting that we were talking about. I think it is time to kind of change education a little bit so that we could reach our students. I think that it could be really beneficial. I agree. It could be like maybe to shape more their, I would say there are ways they learn because someone are more um, uh, picture oriented where they learn more by seeing while mm -hmm. others maybe learn more from a, just a simple textbook like how it is now. I did notice this year with home economics, for example, students really did enjoy the sort of active learning, like learning life skills that they see that will help them, for example, in the future. The hands-on stuff is what I'm saying. They really seem to gravitate, whether that would be cooking or working in the wood shop, which is what we're doing right now. They really enjoy those classes. I'm assuming that's because they think like it will be a lot more useful in the future mm -hmm. than compared to, let's say, learning some history. Yes, it'll be useful, but some people <laughs> may not see it like right away that, oh, this is useful, just reading in a history book, yeah. even if it is. 
Yes. So do you think the discriminatory factors in gym class are fair? Are we talking about like what, let's say, uh, girls? I know in this school, girls and guys sometimes do do gym at the same time or that uh, sometimes they are separated. We always do gym at the same time, but when it comes to tests, like for me, one of the recent tests where we had to do as many push-ups as we can in 60 minutes, except for the girls, they had to do, I believe, 20 to get 100%, while the boys, we had to do 60, which is, I find pretty unfair because there's no like necessarily a reason because I feel like everyone could read 60 push-ups if they just practice doing it. Okay, very interesting. I mean, I'm no expert in the physical education department. <laughs> I do think that, I mean, it, it's such a delicate topic in terms of like, right, discriminating girls and boys. I do think naturally it's a question of, I'm sure the physical capabilities, you know, the way a man is made and a woman is made that allows them. Again, it would be something interesting to talk about with the Z uh, teachers in seeing, I get what you're saying, like not to necessarily limit certain people's capacities because maybe uh, a girl can attain the same goals as a boy I guess it would be something to look at <laughs> I mean maybe it would be good I would say just to like even it a little more but like to keep it separate because I do think that like boys do have an advantage because for them it's easier to attain more muscle mass biologically so do you enjoy teaching with the 50 50 model where half of the students are at school the other half is online it's had its challenges I would say uh, that 50 50 model the one thing that has been quite interesting is the smaller classroom size. I think a lot of the senior teachers can definitely agree on the fact that in terms of behavior or engaging your students, it is easier to manage in some ways, right? Having half of your students in class. The challenge has been ultimately to reach the students that are at home and then also having to do it simultaneously is quite difficult, I would say. The one thing that I would say about the kind of hybrid model or the 50-50 model is a lot of the students, a lot of the teachers, sorry, have had to adapt their way of teaching. And I think we have moved forward. I don't think any of us will go backwards in terms of what we've learned on the uh, with technology and how to reach our students and the stuff that we're able to share with our students online. I think in that way, we've made certain advancements. Some of us joke, like we're 10 years ahead this year as compared to where we first started. So that's been good. But I think it something has to be said, you know, it's nice to have all of your students physically present, the socializing aspect, obviously, and the connection that you form in a classroom, I don't think can be compared to something on screen, you know? that I agree but sometimes maybe classes might be overcrowded like this way it makes it so students are spaced out and maybe it, it might help the students in class but I also feel like it harms the students online because mm -hmm. uh, as uh, we've seen throughout the year students in class participate a lot more often than students online so would you prefer that everyone be online or everyone be in class? That was a model that was interesting to some of us. I do think that for myself in history, uh, certainly uh, for evaluations, I would have rather that my students be all present live in class. And ultimately, if I had all of my students online, then I could sort of plan for a different style of, let's say a lecture, for example, can easily be done online versus, let's say, the evaluation assessment portion of the class. So. 
I thought that it was interesting to adopt this sort of 100% in class, 100% online model. Uh, it could have been beneficial. It was not an option for us this year. We just felt for the students' safety, it was best to sort of have half of the students in class and half of the students at home. Yeah, that makes sense because we have to take in mind, well, the pandemic <laughs> exactly. and we have to, you know, apply all the safety, safety measures, measures without harming too much the students' uh, education. Do you think um, school takes into account the students' mental health? Well, we do have lots of facilities in our school in terms of helping students who are dealing with mental health issues. So guidance counselors are available throughout the day and throughout the week. There's the CLSC, there's, I mean, administration, your teachers as well. I think that teachers need to be and continue to be given some form of training. It could even be offered to parents as well so that we know how to support our our students is certainly when you know to help them cope with certain situations when they arise in their life I think this year in particularly it is important because many people have obviously suffered with um, health issues throughout this pandemic well, that's also because compared to last year, I find that a lot has changed like in yes. the teaching methods. We don't necessarily as well know what's going to happen in the next week mm -hmm. as well with the strike, how it's online, perhaps a lot of Even things. the measures, right? Like Monsieur Legault, that changes, right? So it's like a lot of things are going on in the personal lives of the students and then the academics. And so it creates a lot of this unknown creates that fear and that anxiety. And it's it's a lot. To, it can be a lot. To to cope with uh, for everyone. Yes. Do you think the financial crisis that education is facing right now is helping the development of schools? Are we referring to even sort of the negotiations with the teachers or just in general that the government is not really providing the financial resources that the educational system needs? I would say it's more in general that the government's not providing the resources for the financial education. Yes, it's been years, as you know, I mean, we teach it, you know, we, we, we spoke a lot about this in terms of the changes in the educational system and the importance of the government's role in providing, right, funds and resources for the schools and that, that when there's a lack of that, then we all suffer. So I definitely think that the government needs to step it up a little bit in terms of providing the resources in terms of classroom sizes, in terms of special needs students, because at the end of the day, you guys are our future. And if you're not getting what you need, then there is no future. I agree that we should like provide more resource to education because in the long run, it's beneficial to everyone. Yes. And what would be your ideal classroom? My ideal classroom... I think at the end of the day, we just want our students to be happy in the environment that they're in, right? That they feel safe and happy in the environment they're in, that they're getting a good education. And at the end of the day, I know this year for me was exceptionally important. Yes, the subject is important and getting through your program is important. But I realized one thing this year, it's getting through to students, checking in with your students, making sure that they're okay 
okay. Uh, and I think everything else will fall in place. I think there's lessons to be learned in our books, right? But I think there's also life lessons and those moments that you have to share with your students. So I think balancing the two, right? The education is important, but I think, you know, engaging your students, educating your students, making them kind, <laughs> you know, kind people, uh, people who will go out there and want to make a difference. And So essentially educate them about the subject, but also like about, well, not how to be a citizen, but you know, the general way how we should act as a person towards others. Definitely. And I think if you look, uh, you know, in the social studies program, that's what's at the heart of it, you know. So, yes, we want to, for example, in my course, we want to educate you on you are a citizen living in Quebec, living in Canada, and we're looking at the history of Quebec and Canada. But yes, the bigger picture is that, you know, you're going to go out there in the world. So absolutely, you're a member within this community and we want you to be aware of that and be a good person. At the end of the day and be kind to everyone that's the bottom yeah. line <laughs> that, that is the bottom line and would you prefer a classroom with 30 students or 15 students the benefit of the 15 students is that you can really have that one-on-one -on -one time with the students and potentially connect with those students. There's more room for interaction. I can see the benefits of smaller classroom sizes. As I said before, it's quite challenging. We've seen classroom sizes that are 35 students, recently up to 40 students, if not a little bit more. Like that becomes a lot and you can imagine that if some of the teachers have multiple groups four groups six groups then that becomes a heavy load as well you know to make sure that your students are sort of learning and thriving yes but i find that in this case you also have to think about the teacher because having 30 students as you said might be a, a bigger burden on teacher especially if they have a lot of classes to teach during the year yes and yeah, so 15 students might be, in some cases, more beneficial than the 30 students. Yes. But we also have to put in mind, like, how much space the school has if we could actually accompany 15 students per class. Do you have any final comments before we end off? Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time to interview me. I hope I've answered your questions. It was very nice spending this time with you outside of our history class to just have a nice discussion together. Yes, I agree. And I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you and so much, Gabriel. Thank you.